Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, and verses 11 following. And I just want to share, as we think about the story in Genesis, um, I've been really gifted a lovely passage um, about the story of Jacob and Esau. And uh, it's good to remind ourselves of the parallel that we find in this parable. So it's uh, Luke chapter 15 and verse 11 following. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. We give thanks to God for his word to us this evening. And it's Genesis chapter 33 and verses 1 to 20. And uh, yeah, it's a great, great moment in the history of God's people after all we've been through. So Genesis 33 and verse 1 following. Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, typical. Leah and her children next and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. 
But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? he asked. Jacob answered, They are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau asked, what's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? To find favor in your eyes, my lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you have received me favorably, please accept the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Then Esau said, let us be on our way, I'll accompany you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are tender and that I must care for the ewes and cows that are nursing their young. If they are driven hard just one day, all the animals will die. So my Lord, go on ahead of his servant while I move along slowly at the pace of the flocks and herds before me and the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. Esau said, then let me leave some of my men with you. But why do you do that, Jacob asked? Just let me find favor in the eyes of my Lord. So that day Esau started on his way back to Seir. Jacob, however, went to Succoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place is called Succoth. After Jacob came from Padan Aram, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped within sight of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver he bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. There he set up an altar and called it El Elon Israel. Thanks be to God for his word to us. We're going to see this story of the little lady of the house. And she had been punished for a minor misdemeanor. And the consequence was that she had to eat dinner all alone at a small table in the corner of the dining room. And the rest of the family didn't pay attention to her until they heard her saying grace. I thank thee, Lord, for preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And often in our families and in our working relationships in our neighborhoods and community, there are challenging situations that we face. 
never forget the first um, home I had in Chelmsford. Um, I had a neighbour who would wake up at 5am and they had a stereo system, you know, the stack system, and uh, the radio would come on and it was a linked attached house. And so we would wake up with them at 5am and I remember talking to them, would you mind turning it down please? And uh, they were very conducive to start with until it became slightly hostile later Um, and that was a troubling situation. But what's um, a sign of Christian maturity in how we handle our relationships? Do you avoid conflict? Are you one of those people that will uh, do everything to avoid confrontation? And how do you respond to conflict? For example, immature Christians are often quick to take offence Uh, where someone says something or they might misunderstand what is said to them. And it's remarkable how wars start because of someone taking offence very quickly. And sometimes there's a lack of willingness to forgive and seek reconciliation. While on the other side of the coin, you'll see more mature Christians are slow to take offence and quick to forgive and seek reconciliation. Forgiving a person who has mistreated you and seeking to reconcile with them is not an easy thing. I'll never forget uh, watching some of the video of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa and listening to stories of incredible, incredible forgiveness. Listening to a wife, a mother forgive a police officer who murdered her husband, put a rubber tie around and set it alight, and how she forgave and walked over to the courtroom and embraced the police officer who was weeping at her incredible love and forgiveness. And she said to him, you've taken my son and now you must be my son. Extraordinary the power of reconciliation and forgiveness. It's not easy, and that is what makes the story of the gospel so powerful, where you'll have um, Hebrews and Gentiles worshipping the risen Lord together, and the gospel of Christ reveals to us that God forgives my sin as he forgives your sin that actually there's an equal level playing field when it comes to our, our, our lives in the sight of God, that he reconciles us and forgives us with himself and gives us the ministry of reconciliation. So I want us to think about the reconciliation of Esau and Jacob and for us to be encouraged to be quick to forgive, slow to take offence, and be reconciled. But let's set the context because some of you haven't all journeyed with us to Genesis chapter 33. So Jacob is reconciled to Laban because Laban was his father-in-law and twice he deceived Jacob. He tricked him because, oh, you can have my daughter, but it wasn't Rachel who he wanted, it was Leah 
who he got. And so he had to work another seven years to get Rachel. And Jacob had been reconciled to God, we read about, um, in chapter 32, in this great wrestling match that you will have heard last week. And as a result, he was given a new name. He was called Israel, the Prince of God, instead of Jacob, which means heel catcher. And the question that needs answering in this chapter is, will there be a third reconciliation, Jacob and Esau? And if, an, if there isn't a reconciliation, is there going to be a bloodbath because of what goes on? So Jacob and Esau are brothers. Esau is the older brother. In Hebrew tradition, the older brother always has the inheritance, the blessing of the father. But the last time the two brothers met, they fell out with each other. And there was a row because Jacob tricked his brother, older brother Esau. And by that deception, he got the family blessing. He got the family silver, if you like. Everything went to him. And when Esau realized that he'd been made to look a fool, he'd missed the blessing. There was this breach in their relationship. And as a result of that deception, Jacob had to flee quickly from the homeland because Esau was determined to kill him, to seek him out and bring his end. And so when we pick up the story 20 years later in chapter 33, Jacob has been commanded by God in chapter 31 to return back to his home. And that, of course, prevents Jacob, uh, prevents, presents him with a very big problem because of his dispute with his older brother. Jacob may want to be reconciled to his brother Esau, but as far as he knows, Esau certainly doesn't want to be reconciled to him. Why? Because there are 400 soldiers with Esau. Why would Esau bring 400 soldiers but to finish off his brother and his brother's clan? That was the pursuit of what was happening here. And Esau was both a fighter and a killer. And Jacob, naturally worried and scared about this fighting and killing, might come his way. That's the context of this meeting. This was no friendly sort of disagreement. This was about life and death. And so the first thing we discover in chapter 33 is Esau is forgiving. And we know that in that wonderful passage in chapter 32, where we've got Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord um, and Jacob just thinks the transformation is going on in his heart but actually a change took place as well in Esau somewhere between Seir and the Jabob river God had worked in Esau's heart and had got rid of his anger, his hatred, his pride. And when he sees Jacob coming towards him, bowing down seven times, seven times is the perfect holy number. It's a great sign of respect. He sees his brother and he embraces him. He not only embraces him, he runs to him. And that's why the story of the prodigal son, the father, 
who girds up his kilt, if you like, which is an unseemly thing to do, and run to the prodigal son. There's such a parallel here, representing God who forgives the prodigal son. And we see the older brother running to his younger sibling. And they wept for joy. And Jacob was thrilled because his brother had reconciled to him after 20 years. The hurt was forgiven and is seen in the fact that they never mention it to each other. That seems to be a a key point. Some people just want to go over the old ground of the way someone upset them and hurt them and stole from them. But they've drawn a line in the sand that that is the past. Now we must move on. And Jacob now understands that all he has is because of God's graciousness, blessing his family with his flocks and his herds and the servants. All he has is because of what God has done for him, keeping his promise to Jacob and prospering him. And so there's this transformation that is linked to reconciliation. If we want to see reconciliation, we need to see an inner transformation, a softening of hearts. Jacob introduces his wives and children as they come forward with their mothers and they bow down and show honour to Uncle Esau. And Jacob wants Esau to take his gifts as a peace offering. And Jacob says, For I see your face as one sees the face of God. You have received me favorably. It's a really humbling, tender moment where you see hearts that are gracious to one another. The root of the word reconciliation means to change completely. And that is what exactly what happened to these two men. One had been a heel grabber, a schemer, a shrewd, smart operator, a con man, a hustler, a manipulator. That's Jacob. And God changed him into a humble, honest man who trusted God. The other, Esau, had been hurt and angry, full of hatred. A man who God had changed into a forgiving, gracious man. Both these men had a complete change in their life, which brought about reconciliation. Who's the first mover in this reconciliation? Well, we find out that it's God. Secondly, God transforms Jacob. Jacob wouldn't let go of the angel of God in chapter 32. He wouldn't let go until he had a blessing from the angel of God. He had had enough of the old life of scheming and plotting, deceiving and being deceived. It was this moment of truth where he came up against his own mortality. He realized he was going to meet his brother and he could meet his end. And it's in those deep moments in our own lives where we realize that actually we're not invincible, we're not superheroes, that actually each day is a gift of God, each breath is a gift of God. 
and God changed his heart. Reconciliation can only occur when each person takes responsibility for their own actions. And conflict arises because of sin. And every person struggles with sin. Every person needs to repent of sin. And that's what leads to repentance. God says in Romans 2 verse 4, God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. God's mercy provides the initiative for us to forgive. There's the um, Brunderhof community, um, and they've written a fantastic book called The Lost Art of Forgiving. And forgiveness is incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful. And we see films and movies about people. And I suppose, you know, the, the most powerful story we've probably seen in our modern era is Nelson Mandela. As he left that island prison, he made that personal decision to leave his anger and his hatred for the stolen years, 27 years of his life. He decided to forgive And that one man transforms the country where everyone was expecting a bloodbath. And here we have this man who brings about reconciling power. And this is the power that is available to you and I even this week. Jacob knows that he's got to return to the promised land. He must take responsibility for his sin. And in view of God's great mercy towards him, Jacob is a humbler man. Transformation of the heart, the soul, and the spirit is only a God thing. But we need to be hungry for it. We need to to drink from the well of God's word. So we have to release bitterness and resentment. And we need to pray that God replaces any hatred, any anger with love. Forgiveness and reconciliation aren't identical. Forgiveness is the decision to give our anger, our resentment to God, to abandon vengeance. Reconciliation concerns the restoration of the relationship. We don't know in the New Testament when the Apostle Paul and the other Apostle Barnabas, they had a falling out And we don't know this side of heaven whether they were actually reconciled. And this can happen to some of God's great leaders. We are powerless to change other people, but we have God's power to change us. But through prayer, God is able to change other people. Who are the people that we need to pray for in our networks, in our church? in our work and neighbourhood, where we need God's Holy Spirit to change an attitude to release the power of forgiveness. Esau hated Jacob and plotted to kill him, it says in Genesis 27, verse 41. Rebekah heard this and told Jacob to flee to his uncle's house. When Jacob returned, he was afraid because he assumed Esau still hated him. Jacob did not anticipate God was going to work in Esau's life. And that is the surprise here, that sometimes we think it's all about us, 
but God is at work changing the lives of other people. Genesis 33 verse 4 tells us that Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. That is not a seeming thing to do in Hebrew culture. It shows the power of God's restoring love. The power of forgiveness is extraordinary. It turns an enemy into a friend. The most enduring lives are those who have allowed the power of forgiveness to heal and reconcile them. So what do we conclude in all this? Jacob bowed down seven times. Respect. It's important for us to give people respect. Respect to his older brother. Where do we need to respect those we've had conflict with? And how do we um, express that respect to those who are senior to us? In verse 4, we read of Esau running to his prostrated, prostrated brother. And this is, as I say, reminiscent of the prodigal son. How can we make it easier for those who have perpetrated injustice to us to make reconciliation a reality and easier for them? A new name was given to Jacob, Israel, Prince of God. Jacob allowed God to transform him from the inside out. And so we need, a bit like a remote control for a television, an attitude adjuster. How do we need to change our attitudes from negative behaviours do we take offence too easily? Are we slow to judge and swift to overlook an insult? Maybe we need to adjust our attitudes this week. Allow God to challenge us to enjoy the people around us, to smile with them. Perhaps we might even have a chip on our shoulder about something that happened 60 years ago. A bad attitude. We've got to take responsibility to enjoy life, to appreciate others and stay patient. I want to finish with this story, a true story, a powerful story in many ways, a simple story. It was after a long shift at the fire department, Matt Swazel fell asleep while driving and he crashed into another vehicle taking the life of a pregnant mother, June Fitzgerald, and injuring her 19-month-old daughter. According to today, Fitzgerald's husband, a full-time Christian minister, asked for this man's sentence to be diminished. And Mr. Fitzgerald began meeting Mr. Swatzel for coffee and conversation in prison. Many years later, the two men remained close friends. And it's a powerful story of how Pastor Fitzgerald said, you forgive as you've been forgiven. Forgiveness is the only antidote to the acid 
of anger and bitterness. And we are the light bearers, the ambassadors of Christ this week who can take forgiveness and reconciliation into a world that's hungry, desperately thirsty for it. Let's pray together.